Hi, I'm Ollie. And I'm Kendall. And this is The Group Project. Today we have Yoko Silk with us. Yoko, uh, will you introduce yourself and uh, maybe tell us a little bit about you and how you've come to where you are right now? Oh, hi, everybody. Um, yeah, so my name is Yoko. Currently, I'm working as a stewardship coordinator for Portland Parks and Recreation. And that title basically means that I help bring people into our natural area parks in Portland and connect them to ways of volunteering in the natural area park, whether that be planting or removing um, non-native plants or doing kind of plant care and maintenance and mulching and things like that. So um, stewardship to me, just means taking care of these natural areas. That's kind of what my job is about. And you want to, you want me to kind of like take take it way back and tell you more <laughs> yeah. about myself. Yeah, a little background would be great. Just um, yeah, kind of where you've been and, okay. and things that you've done in your life that have brought you to where you are. Okay, so I guess when I'm asked the question of like how I got to this job, I really, you know, it's funny. I can kind of list a lot of different jobs that I've had as an adult, but really the parts of my life that I think have been most influential for me choosing this kind of field of work uh, happened in middle school and high school. <laughs> That's part of the reason why I'm so passionate about this work and working with youth specifically is because I know how um, how influential those experiences that we have when we're young um, can be on our direction that we choose to go and, and, and our path that we choose to take in life. So in middle school, I was part of this organization um, I actually went to a Waldorf school, and as our end of the year kind of celebration trip in eighth grade, we did this three-week um, kind of wilderness excursion. We did a whitewater canoe trip, and um, in combination with a rock climbing, and that was really the first amount of first time I'd like been away from home for that long, and also the first time I'd spent more than just a few nights like out camping and um, really just got to sleep under the stars and and see what that was like to be with a really close-knit community out in, in the wilderness. Um, and that inspired me so much that I started volunteering for that same organization in high school and worked with them for a year as a volunteer and then started getting paid when I was about 17 and um, con- continued with them um, actually up until three years ago. I was working with them part-time in the springtime leading eighth graders on their end-of-the-year um, trips <laughs> doing wilderness canoe excursions and backpacking and things like that. So a lot of my background in this kind of environmental career path has been focused on the recreation side of things and really a lot of wilderness trips. Um, So yeah, a lot of rock climbing and a lot of um, canoeing and rafting and backpacking. It's kind of my focus. And then through that, I got connected through Portland Parks. Um, In 2010, I was moving away from Eugene, which is where I went to school at the University of Oregon, and I studied environmental studies, and um, I'll talk more about that in a second. But yeah, so moving from Eugene to Portland, and I was like looking for jobs and found a summer program um, through Portland Parks that was helping young people teach uh, little children about nature. So kind of taking folks out of their um, summer programs, out of their classrooms, into the parks that the programs are happening at and doing lessons on bugs and um, plants and water and things like that. And so it was a really sweet opportunity, um, really precious to be able to mentor these young teen or these young adults, these teens, um, and help them become teachers to a younger generation of, of children as well and um, help inspire 
a whole generation of environmental leaders. And that program is part of Portland Park's um, environmental careers, kind of pipe, we call it a Pathways, Environmental Careers Pathways Programs, which includes the Grunt Program, which is Green Spaces, Restoration, and Urban Naturalist Team, and the YCC Program, the Youth Conservation Crew. Um, and those I've been connected with for a long time, and I've really learned so much from working with those um, with those programs and working with youth that aren't uh, given these opportunities by their parents like I was um, and are growing, you know, living in Portland and not necessarily even knowing that we had nature in our backyards and all these different natural areas in Portland. So through these programs with Portland Parks, I've been able to connect with a lot of different communities in Portland and um, see a lot of young people really um, have their eyes open by the, you know, the magic and wondrousness of, of nature and really take some ownership in protecting these places in Portland. And, you know, a lot of the youth that I started working with in 2010 are graduating college now and choosing career paths in um, environmental science or otherwise, you know, similar kind of direction and really interested, not everybody, obviously, but a, a lot of them are really interested in kind of continuing um, in this environmental field. And so that's really inspiring as well. And we get to stay in touch with a lot of the young people that have come through these programs. So that's pretty, pretty awesome. And then in 2016, um, that job wasn't full-time. And so in 2016, I applied for the stewardship coordinator position and actually got that. And so that's kind of my long path in terms of how I got here. Yeah. <laughs> kind of my, my original inspiration as, as a young person myself and kind of seeing the differences that would happen for me when I spend time outside and, and why I wanted to be able to share that with more people as well. Did you see transformation of the kids through the trips that you led? Like over the course of the trip even? Yeah, for sure. It's really, um, you know, I feel really lucky to have spent most of my time with young people um, outside because I think that there's a level of transformation that happens immediately when you go, you know, you arrive to the trailhead or you put on the water or whatever it is, as soon as you leave your comfort, um, there's a, a level of trust that gets built between the group and um, between the youth and the staff as well, because they realize that they can't just walk home or they can't go to the fridge and find their food. And so there's a lot of responsibility that's built, I feel like, on the trips where we're asking youth to cook their own meals and to take care of themselves and each other and the group. Um, and then there's also a level of endurance that you have to have to be able to, you know, keep hiking or carry a heavy backpack. And so I really appreciate that type of transformation as well. And a lot of the youth will say that, it, you know, it was their first time spending multiple nights outside as well. Um, I think the ability to be able to um, take personal responsibility is one of the biggest transformations that I've seen. Um, and then also, the recognition that there is so much um, so much fun to be had away from screens, away from our TVs and our and our cell phones and computers and all of that. I think that that's one of the things that the youth always comment on afterwards is like, I didn't think I would have a good time, but this was like one of my best weeks of my life, and I can't believe how fast it went. And um, kind of an intention to to keep coming outside after that is a really common thing that I've heard. What are some of the things that you enjoy, um, and maybe it's seeing the transformation, but because you spend so much time working with youth, what are some of the things that you enjoy um, about doing that? Mm. 
Um, I think one of the things that I enjoy the most is seeing um, seeing people experience wonder in a really genuine, not necessarily new way, but a really genuine way where, where you're seeing things that you might not have seen before, experiencing things in a different way, um, and where there's this really pure sense of wonder and um, play and joy when you get to be outside and, ex- and explore and experience the world around you um, really firsthand. I think that's one of the things that I really enjoy. I remember um, leading this one particular group of really young kids. They were about three to five years old. Um, we call it our ladybug walks. And maybe they're even younger than that, maybe like two to five um, but it's also through the Putnam Parks Environmental Education Program and the Ladybug Walks, the parents come with the with the kids and then the children kind of are able to to go on this walk with their parents and with the staff and go through this nature exploration. And I remember one of these young girls, we were walking on a gravel path and she picked up this little piece of gravel that looked to me like, you know, almost the same as every other piece of gravel on the ground. And she lifted it up and she was like, look look at this rock and she was so amazed by it and just was like so enthralled with how this particular little piece of gravel looked and I was like that's amazing I wish that we all could keep that sense of wonderment for each individual thing and, and be able to see the magic in, in the, the pile of rocks not just be a pile of rocks you know so I think that that kind of wonder and joy and it, it goes up to being teenagers too a lot of the teens that I bring out are sometimes a little hesitant and a little bit more reserved and kind of have a little bit of a a shield up at first maybe if they're like I don't know like how dirty can I get or how much do I actually want to play but I think that's one of the things that if you can bring folks outside for more than just a couple hours or bring them outside repeatedly throughout the year like those barriers start to break down and people are able to loosen up a little bit which I really appreciate. Do you do stuff to help those um, facilitate barriers breaking down or do you just kind of let people show up as they are and um, just give them the time and space? Like, are there ways that you help, um, I guess, help build that trust yeah. or help them relax? Or Totally. I think it's a really um, good question and something I think about a lot because once you, d- once you build rapport, you can do a lot more. And so if I have more time with their group, um, those barriers go down a little bit faster and I can, you know, it's interesting. I think teenagers to me are my, are my favorite kind of age group of people to work with. Um, But they're also some of the most challenging partially because they have kind of all this stuff going on internally, oftentimes with like self-image and, you know, not necessarily wanting to, to be around the adults that are bringing them to these different activities. And so, um, Sometimes it's a little bit challenging and I'll rely on the community that they came with. If they came with other staff that they have a stronger rapport with or just kind of like what you said, like really slow things down and see where the group is at. Um, A lot of the things that I really want to push for in my job to allow more people to experience our natural areas is to not necessarily do the same type of work in kind of like a prescribed way and really recognize that we can slow down and stewardship can look a lot of different ways and that it's really about the quality of the experience and not so much about the quantity of the work that we're doing. And so if a group that I have is out and like really, really not into the work that we're doing, I might totally shift it up and actually stop the project and maybe just walk around the park. Um, Or maybe I'll do 
uh, scavenger hunts are often a, a hit <laughs> to kind of in, let people explore the park at their own pace and kind of have a little challenge um, to do it. We'll play lots of tag games if we have a space where we're not trampling a lot of native plants. Um, so yeah, there's a different level, you know, different different things that you can do, different activities to engage the group differently. But I do think that, um, like for example, the the planting event that I met you on, it was pretty muddy and people are like down on their knees and planting. And if I'm working with a group that you know has never gone outside on a hike, like maybe that's not the first place that I want to start with them. Maybe we want to start a little bit um, less dirty and <laughs> do some other activities till they're ready to to kind of get their hands in the dirt a little bit more. So try to try to meet the group where they're at, but also push a little bit so that you know not everybody's just staying where they're comfortable and everybody's being able to have some some learning edges as well. And you mentioned that you know you were giving these opportunities uh, when you were growing up to be out in nature and experience nature in, in various ways. the The communities that you work with often, from like from what you're saying, haven't had that. What are some different ways that you can help folks who who aren't exposed to nature or haven't traditionally been exposed to nature find that? And then also, what are the challenges that you face um, or that they experience to, you know, that kind of, again, some barriers? What are some of the barriers that, that are, exist for um, people experiencing nature in a, a transformative way? Yeah. That's something I think a lot about. I think that one of some of the stuff that I'm trying to focus on in my work is expanding the definition of what my job is and how we can engage with communities and actually ask them for what they want from us. And so I think sometimes we go into communities and we're like, we want to help you and we want to help you get access to nature. And here's what we, we what we do. Want to play? Like, Want to join? And instead, can we go into those communities and be like, hey, um, we're here to serve you. What is it that you would like from us? These are your public parks. Like, how can we meet you and help you access them in the way that you want to access them? What are the things that you feel like you want in your community? So I think that kind of flipping the the, the question around, flipping the narrative is, is really important. And then I think the other thing to recognize is that we kind of see um, all of us, like, grow up having this idea of what it means to be in nature. and, and what, But what the reality is that all of us have different ways of being in nature. And I think the common kind of misconception in this country is that nature, you know, nature is hiking, backpacking, uh, rafting, like doing all these things that are kind of uh, recreational activities in nature when actually it can be quite different for different people. And maybe taking a picnic in a park is, is really just as valuable of a natural experience as walking uh, in the gorge or, you know, whatever it is. So kind of slowing down and, and allowing communities to to really make their own choices around how they want to engage, where they want to engage, um, and how we can best serve them, I think would be, is, is the effort that I'm, I'm trying to, to make, I guess. I feel like I've pulled the answer. (laughs) Yeah, no, as, as you've, um, engaged with that question in, in different communities, have there been any, um, answers to that question that have surprised you or, um, given you a, a new or different perspective? One of the things that does surprise me is how often communities really do want to engage in hands-on volunteerism, like doing the stewardship work and pulling weeds and planting plants. And I guess I always felt like that would be a little bit more of a of a barrier, but 
people are actually quite excited to get outside and do that. Um, so that's one thing that has surprised me. You know, as you said, like people being invested in their community and um, I mean, it makes sense that like, cause you know, something that we might think of as like a chore, like pulling weeds or something like that is, um, is actually something that people, you know, communities actually want that. Like we don't want parks full of weeds or parks full of, you know, different, um, things that are going to make the park or the natural experience, um, right. diminished. So, uh, in, in some ways it, it makes sense that, that people are, um, invested and committed to that, but it also, um, would definitely fall in line with like, Oh, like asking people to do that is going to be a hard thing to do. But, uh, interesting to, to find out that, that that is something that people are pretty willing to, to engage with and, um, and invest in. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it happens quite often. And I think sometimes too, we'll, we'll, if it's a group that I'm working with consistently, we might not do that every time, right? Or maybe yeah. the first time we're just doing some sort of nature walk and then they're like, okay, cool. Now we're ready to like dive in a little bit deeper. Um, but again, kind of like asking them, like, what do you want to do? Here's what some of the things we can offer, but let me know what you want, you know, kind of slowing down. And then you asked about barriers and kind of, um, you know, what challenges might come up with being able to reach different communities across Portland. Yeah. And I think one of the, the biggest barriers that I face is that, um, so there's four stewardship coordinators with Portland Parks, and we're all divided by watersheds. So my watershed is the Columbia Slough watershed, and the Columbia Slough runs parallel to the Columbia River. Um, traditionally, you know, historically has been uh, native lands for forever, and then has been floodplains and wetlands. And as Portland was settled and developed, those wetlands started being filled in. Um, and now the Columbia Slough doesn't actually connect to the Columbia River anymore, and it's levied and um, kind of controlled and in that area is a lot of industry and there's not as many houses um, there is there are still a lot of houses in the Columbia Slough watershed but not as many um, neighborhoods as there might be on say in the west hills in those parks kind of in the southwest part of Portland right and so I'm working with a lot of in with a lot of parks that aren't right next to houses <laughs> and so getting there is pretty challenging um, there's a lot of transportation issues that are, um, it's hard to access TriMet to all of the parks. Transportation can be a challenge because these parks aren't necessarily right next to neighborhoods, so they're not necessarily walkable. Um, and TriMet, when they get there, might not get you as close to the park. So just kind of recognizing that a lot of our natural areas are, are pretty far away from, from folks' houses. Right. Even thinking about, like, getting to Forest Park, which is our biggest natural area yeah. um, in Portland it's, you know, pretty challenging to get over there with public treatment and could take you an hour and a half from Southeast Portland, you know? Right. So you, the what gets something designated as a natural area park? And what, I guess, what does that term mean, I guess? Instead of a developed park? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's over, I believe, over 80 natural area parks in Portland. Um, and there's over, I think, 200 developed parks. A few of those are kind of a cross between the two, and so they actually have two supervisors for that park, one from the developed um, park zones and one from the natural area zones. And um, but the natural area parks are really 
you know, set in place to kind of provide more, they're set in place to provide more habitat for the wildlife that we have in Portland and to really think about, they're often strategically acquired, like the land is acquired in this longer term vision to provide more connectivity between the habitats. Um, So kind of thinking about these smaller parcels of land that are natural areas as stepping stones, because we won't necessarily get a full corridor, like a habitat corridor is we're trying to create it, but you won't necessarily get the whole thing because there's, you know, you can't necessarily be connected all the way. But if you think of them as stepping stones and it helps the migration of the different animals that live in those parks. So that's part of the intention behind acquiring the natural area parks is to provide um, more connectivity and obviously to provide more habitat and wild spaces for the critters that live in Portland. And I really appreciate that value that Portland has on preserving the natural landscape as much as as possible in a in a bustling metropolis um the other thing that is really looked at recently i think more so than it than it used to be in portland is like where where are these natural area parks and where are the developed parks and where are the neighborhoods that aren't being served currently and so there's been a big intention on actually developing more parks in east portland where there's been kind of a void in the map of of some neighborhoods that aren't within walking distance to a park so that's also been something that's been really great recent in recent years. There's been a lot of funding towards developed parks in East East Portland, which is really great. And the natural area parks are somewhat of a slower process too. And I um, I guess I don't really understand, you know, how they get advocated for originally and kind of who brings them. But most of the time they come, you know, some of our parks were donated by landowners that used to have a farm and said you know, we want to give this park to the city so it stays natural area in, in perpetuity. Um, other parks we buy, we partner a lot with the Bureau of Environmental Services, and so they're often acquiring lands, either purchasing it or having it to be donated to them, um, and kind of sharing that management for the, they'll manage it for the first few years and then kind of transfer it over to parks ownership potentially, not always, sometimes they keep it as well. So there's all these different um, you know, city agencies that kind of collaborate and thinking about which lands to buy and and where to put those resources. So that would probably be a better question for, I don't know, like the director of parks or my supervisor. (laughs) Probably don't know all those those details, but yeah, it's um, the intention is to provide wildlife habitat and to provide um, also, so I'd say wildlife habitat. And then the other really important aspect of it is water quality. And so the more, we can restore, especially in the Columbia Slough watershed, the more green spaces we can restore, the more the water um, of the slough is, can get filtered out. You know, the, the pollutions get filtered out before it flows into the slough and the more kind of healthy riparian forest um, forest by the water we can have, the, the healthier the water itself will be. So we're trying to, you know, help the help the health of the of the slough as well. And the slough flows into the Willamette and the Willamette flows into the Columbia and it's all connected (laughs) so one thing that folks um often don't know because we drive over the slough in portland if you ever go from south to north or north to south you'll probably drive over the slough and you don't really notice it it's like this little creek maybe there's a sign that says columbia slough but you can hardly see it but it's actually a really vibrant place um lots of different wildlife there's beaver and osprey and um, great blue herons and green herons and bald eagles uh 
all sorts of critters that live in and along and around the slough. And one of the, in the lower nine mile section of the slough, um, we actually get salmonids, baby salmon, that on their way to the ocean from the spawning ground. So we don't have spawning in the Columbia Slough, but on their way to the ocean, the salmon will kind of come upstream on the Willamette and then upstream on the Columbia Slough and hang out and rest and be able to like get some some safe haven and where they can eat a lot and kind of fuel up for their journey to the ocean. So there's also a lot, you know, one of those kind of iconic and really important species is keystone species that we have in the Northwest with salmon. Um, a lot of the restoration that work that we do in the Columbia Slough watershed, but then also all these other parks as well really help kind of that bigger system of interconnected um, wildlife that live here, including the salmon. What challenges are facing some of the natural areas? Yeah. Are there ways that, I mean, obviously they're in the middle of a city where there's a lot of just Mm -hmm. human interaction and um, effects from uh, human behavior. Are there, could you name like a couple of big ones that, um, that maybe even if people began to be educated about them, like some, you know, behavior or decision-making could change around that? Yeah, I can think of a few right off the bat. So one that a lot, you know, Portlanders are definitely aware that we have a lot of camping that goes on in our city and town, and we have a lot of houselessness because of, you know, a whole variety of reasons, including some economic shifts in the city and um, all sorts of, of challenges. And so that is one thing that has affected our natural areas is that sometimes it feels like a safe and uh or that sometimes it feels like a spot where people can set up camp. And so as much as um, that's a really challenging situation for, for everybody involved because the folks camping definitely need a spot to stay. And yet it's also quite impactful to have folks camping in the natural areas. So that's one thing that we've been um, faced with and kind of thinking a lot about. Um, but I'll just say that. And then the other thing is that folks often don't really – realize the impact that uh, their dogs will have on the natural area. And so we get a lot of dogs off leash in some of our areas where we actually ask no dogs to be at all. Um, Some of the wildlife really stay away from parks if there's like the scent of of dogs around and it kind of changes the way that animals move and behave if they know that there's a kind of a predator hanging around there. So that can be one challenge. Um, Some of the awareness building that I try to do in my job is to help to teach people about the value of having a natural area potentially in their backyard um, right next to their house in their neighborhood. Um, I've gotten some questions around, you know, what do we do? There's, there's people camping there. What do we do? There's coyotes in there and we're worried about our cats and, you know, kind of like not feeling safe with a natural area. And so I think that we still have a long ways to go as a society of, of really like helping people feel comfortable with something that's not developed and helping people understand that, you know, the more natural areas we get, the less the wildlife will be in our backyards. The more they'll they'll have a healthy habitat to stay in, the less the coyotes will want to dig through your trash. And so just kind of like thinking about the long-term vision of of these natural areas and and helping people people stay engaged so that they feel um, some positive ownership over it as well and and supportive of the the natural areas that we have. Because I haven't been to a lot of cities that have as many wild spaces as Portland does, and it's pretty neat. As we're wrapping up here, uh, we like to ask our guests a question. And that question is, if you could ask one thing of your fellow human beings, what would it be? 
Like ask them a question or ask them to do something? Yes, either one of those. (laughs) (laughs) Very open-ended, purposefully. Yeah. Um, For everybody, I would ask everybody to ask themselves this question. Are my choices in the world creating the world that I want my children or my grandchildren to inherit? And if you don't have children or grandchildren, then somebody else's grandchildren. But how are your choices impacting the world that we live in? And are they choices that you can feel good about as you move down generation to generation? Well, thank you so much, Yoko, for your time today. And thanks for joining us on The Group Project. Thank you, Yoko. It was good talking with you. You too. Thank you so much.